You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Hey, this is Ariel Hawani, host of the MMA Hour on the Vox Media Podcast Network. Each week, we interview the biggest names in the world of mixed martial arts and beyond. So tune in live every Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern over at MMAfighting.com or download the show afterwards on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and wherever you get your podcast. We'll see you then. Welcome back to the Limited Upside Podcast. I'm Mike Prada, and today we are talking about the Charlotte Hornets, uh, part 11 of 30 in SB Nation's uh, Limited Upside team-by-team countdown series. Charlotte, the bottom kind of fell off out on them last year. You know, they were looking good for a while. They looked like a nice, solid playoff team, and then, bam, just kind of fell out on them. What happened? You know, it doesn't seem like there was anything significant, but as it turns out, there kind of was. So we talked to James Detour from SBNation.com and Nick Denning from At The Hive to get the scoop on what happened last year, how excited or nervous are people about Dwight Howard, what can we do to give Kemba Walker a little bit more attention, and then we talk about the Bobcats and the Hornets a little bit, uh, remembering the good old days of that terrible Bobcats team uh, and all that. We're part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. You should can find us on iTunes at Limited Upside. We really appreciate your feedback. Leave us a review in iTunes and leave us a comment. Good or bad, we incorporate both. We like to hear whether you think we should be doing things better. We also like to hear that we're doing things well. So either way, we really appreciate a review in iTunes. You can also send us questions at Limited underscore Upside on Twitter. We ask them on the show, as our longtime listeners understand. So please do that. You can also check us out on SBNation.com and anywhere you get your podcast. But until then, this is the Charlotte Hornets preview. Enjoy it. This is the Limited Upside Podcast. Welcome back to the Limited Upside Team Preview Series, number 11 of 30, the Charlotte Hornets. And unfortunately, this one's being recorded uh, the day after the Kyrie Irving trade, so I can imagine everyone's minds are elsewhere. But the Charlotte Hornets deserve our coverage, and they're going to get it. And we've got two special guests on this time, James Detour from SBNation.com and Nick Denning from At The Hive, SBNation's Hornets site. Friends... The Hornets were pretty fun two years ago. I think we all kind of knew that they might take a step back this year, but that was a bigger step back than I think people realized. So, like, in a word, James, like, what's kind of the mood of the Hornets fan base now on the heels of last year's sort of rough finish? Yeah, I'm going to say it's anxious. Like, that's probably my word for the way things are right now. There's a lot of anticipation, or there was in the last season, and it didn't happen. So I think a lot of people are feeling like this is a put up or shut up kind of year and the team's made a lot of moves. So we'll see what happens, hopefully. That's uh, the kind of kind of optimism that I heard a lot in the last podcast. So I, that's not not that encouraging. Uh, Nick, what's your word? Yeah, I, I'd say optimistic, but I it's not like a, a huge optimism, but certainly more than they had you know, maybe a few months ago. I mean... This team doesn't have any cap space, and it didn't and still doesn't, um, but yet kind of improved a lot more than I think many were expecting. So that has people a little bit more optimistic and maybe hopeful um, for the upcoming season. Yeah, they kind of got caught in this weird trap, right? So they have this great season uh, surprising everyone. I think when Kid Gilchrist got injured two years ago, 
we all thought they might be one of the worst teams in the league. Instead, they are even better. And that was a fun team to follow, a fun team to watch, a fun team locally too, which I think is really important. And blowing it up is really not a real option. So they do that. I still am like having trouble figuring out what happened to them. Like, why did they fall to uh, 36 wins? That's I thought they might lose a couple wins off their record, but 12 fewer games than last year. I'm still kind of wrapping my head around like how that all fell apart. Yeah, I think, well, the, the Hornets are kind of built, um, you know, with like a lot of good pieces. But if you take one of those pieces away, it kind of all falls out. So when they lost Cody Zeller, um, I think they went three and 17 without him. And it wasn't just because Zeller is like that good. It's just more of like they didn't have a replacement for him. Like Roy Hibbert and and Spencer Hawes are not your answers um, to play significant minutes. Um, neither was Miles Plumley, and then he got hurt. Um, and then you know you add just poor defense, particularly from the three point line, and it, that kind of made the problems. Probably to echo the same thing Nick's saying, like the Cody Zeller injury was so bizarre because I think you look at Cody Zeller if you're not a Hornets fan and you don't understand why he could have the impact that he did losing him. And he, he was only able to play 62 games and he, the stretch, like Nick mentioned was just disastrous. And it was just like one piece to the whole puzzle. And like that, I think that's the thing about the way Steve Clifford's kind of coached this team is they've got a lot of talent at certain positions, but it's very much this kind of synergistic thing. And you remove one piece and you start plugging in other pieces that don't quite work as well. And I think we saw the house of cards collapse a little bit. Cody Zeller's good. People need to watch Cody Zeller more. Cody Zeller is one of those, I mean, he's one of those like hipstery, really good players that we love to talk about. And people who want to prove how smart they are say, oh, you guys got to notice how good Cody Zeller is. But he's a good player. Like he does a lot of really good things. To illustrate your point, so their most used lineup with their starting lineup was a plus six net rating. You put in Kaminsky instead of Cody Zeller, minus one. So it is kind of interesting how that one piece like holds all of that stuff together uh, in a way that you wouldn't expect. And it's almost too bad because it wasted, I think, an awesome year by Kemba Walker, who if Cody Zeller had stayed healthy, I think, you know, I know Kemba made the all-star team, but I feel like he would have had more of that breakout if Cody Zeller had stayed healthy and the Horns might have improved because they were right on track to be a playoff team until the collapse. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think that I think the shame kind of about Kemba is he's come along at a time where there's just a lot of really great point guards in the league. And it seems like every time Kemba takes a step forward, somebody else does as well and gets all the attention. And this season, I feel like it was really it was really like Isaiah Thomas, like Kemba Kemba's Kemba's breakout year got completely overshadowed. And I think he's constantly seen as like this I don't even know if I'd say like second tier. I just think he gets forgotten in the conversation like constantly. And he was so good this year. Why do you think that is? Because I, I don't get it. Like I watch him play. He's so much fun to watch. He's making all these great shots. He's crossing people up. He's finishing really well. Everybody loves little dudes that dominate. You know, what is it? Why do we not? Why does he not get the same sort of like kind of appreciation or love or wonder that, you know, some of these other guys get? It can't just be that the Hornets weren't winning. I would argue. Well, I don't know if argue, but I'd say it's a combination of they do play. In a, I mean, just because of the Hornets, they're not as um, widely covered. Um, but I also think Walker was never really viewed. I mean, he was always when he, when he was drafted. There was kind of the sense, OK, he could be a pretty good player, but. I don't think anyone expected him to be kind of a franchise all-star level type of player that he's kind of become now. And so if you look at his numbers, particularly like 
if you if you go beyond the last couple seasons, he wasn't really that efficient of a player. So now that he's good, it's almost like it's like you know trying to plug him into the conversation. If you haven't been closely following him the last couple of years, it's easy to just say, oh, he's not as good as some of these other top point guards. That's a definitely a big part of it, no question. Um, but I don't know, it's just aesthetically, he's fun. Yeah, it, I, yeah. It, it, he's just I don't know how good he is. Like realistically, like I think. He probably isn't like he isn't as good as a lot of the guys we talk about. Like he's not as good as Damian Lillard. He's not as good as Isaiah Thomas, or he wasn't last year. Like I think he's properly rated. He's just not properly appreciated because you know, like he should be like one of these players that like like we love Dion Waiters and how awesome like De- it's fun to watch Dion Waiters do his thing. Like I don't think Kemba like gets that same sort of maybe it's because like he's right on the border of like someone we should take seriously whereas like waiters are sort of a suspension of belief and like how good he thinks he is like he's sort of almost he's too good to be viewed as like a curiosity but not good enough to be taken seriously it's like in this weird spot yeah i also think i also think kemba is in dire need of like a complete breakout game on national tv because the, the hornets don't get a lot of national tv coverage and I think if he had like that one signature game that could make people remember uh, the same way I think Hornets fans appreciate him. Like, I agree. He's not like top, absolute top tier, put him up with the five best in the league. But I think he'd get a lot more credit than he currently gets. What about the playoffs two years ago? Didn't he have that game against Miami? Wasn't that like sort of a breakout game? Was that not not enough? Uh, I mean, maybe if they win, if they win that series. But yeah, I guess that's true. Know, and, and and he was good for if I remember correctly he 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 did have that one very good game but there were a couple couple games where he really struggled shooting the ball um, so I think if it'd been more consistent throughout that series maybe maybe a little bit different yeah maybe I don't know it's just I love him I think it's, I, I think he's great I love him I wish he got more attention um well let's talk about the things that I don't love as much about this Hornets team um, where do you want to start the enigmatic Nick Batum or oh God Dwight Howard's on our team. <laughs> your choice oh, I, I mean it's it, we could go either way it's uh i mean what, what what do you i don't know james what do you think oh gosh <laughs> Let, let's 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 delay the dwight howard conversation okay. as long as we can and talk about nick batum okay all right we got a question from uh uh one of our longtime listeners uh courtney kennedy asking this is a loaded question but i'm gonna try to unload it a little bit because I just I have trouble figuring out Nick Batum. He asks, "Is Batum the most frustrating player in the league as a sidekick?" And like my my question to modify that is like, okay, is he actually that frustrating as a player? Like as far as you don't really know how to figure him out, or is it is there something that we're missing? How good is he supposed to be, and how good is he actually? Like kind of not season to season, but like as like in one way. Because, you know, two years ago he was so good. Last year he really struggled with the shot. And yet you look at the numbers and he's, every stat goes up when he's in the game. It's just a weird player. Yeah, I'd say, like, he's – I think we expected him to be a second scoring option. And that's not what he is. And if he was a third scoring option and he had two guys like Walker and somebody else that he could consistently feed because his best attribute is his playmaking, um, I think he'd get a lot more – maybe a little bit viewed a little bit more positively. Um, but he's been kind of an underwhelming shooter um, and his defense isn't as good as some or as we were led to believe. So, yeah, he's frustrating for that extent. But I still think he's very important to the team. 
Yeah, I agree that he's like super important. I think the, it's a case of like the expectation of Batum coming to Charlotte ended up just outstripping the reality. Like there, there was a little bit of there was a little bit of like giving this master plan. People gave Rick Cho like a lot of credit and said, well, he used to be on the Blazers. He knows this guy. The Hornets are in dire need of three point shooting. He's going to come in. He's going to knock everything down. And that just hasn't like really manifested itself. Uh, he's good at shooting the ball, but like, I think Kemba actually ended up being better at shooting the three last year than, than Batum was. So it's just, it was just one of these situations where, yeah, like Nick, Nick said, he's just not a second option, but I think he's probably better than like your average third. So he just fits this weird middle ground where, you know, I'm just waiting to see who that second guy is really going to end up being. You can't put him in a box. That's, I think that's part of it too. Like, like you said, he's sort of like a two and a half option, second and a half option, right? Offensively. And like two years ago, I thought the his ability to like actually make plays off the dribble and off screens would just freak Kemba up so much. And like that doesn't go away whether he's making or missing shots. So I guess that's why he's valuable. But then he makes and misses a lot of shots. And, you know, if he also shoots a lot of shots or he shoots no shots, I feel like there's it's just no in between, and and yeah, defensively, he's just not as good as I think people realize. Like I think the other thing too is I'm not sure Clifford really helped his case by comparing him to Tracy McGrady over and over again last year. <laughs> like I get what he was trying to say. Like and if you think about it, the the comparison made sense. But there, it's actually like kind of not such so off in the sense that there was always sort of like what is McGrady, you know, later in his career, like is he floating too much? And you have the same thing sort of going on with Batum. But at the same time, you have to take a step back and be like, well, look at all the things he is doing and look at, you know, how well the team performs. Like there's obviously something we're missing here. And yet you watch him and you're just always looking, wanting more. He's sort of, he's like the anti eye test person. Yeah. He's, he's too passive. Um, and you know, there'll be games where he decides to be aggressive and sometimes it works. And other times he's just jacking up shots that just aren't good shots. And, and another thing I noticed, at least particularly last year is he'd attack the hoop. And at least from my angle, it looks like he has a clear line at the, at the hoop. And then he'd just kick it out to a fairly contested three pointer. And I just didn't seem like he wanted to score as much as he should have been wanting to score. So that was, I think probably the most frustrating thing for me watching him offensively. He kind of dipped some toes into like I want to take over, but not yeah. enough. You'd almost rather he like do one or the other. <laughs> like if he literally committed himself to just being like a spot up shooter and improved his defense, like then you wouldn't be able to make sense of him. Bizarre, weird player, but a good player. Like as for the other frustrating player that I think we have to talk about, I'm not sure he's still a good player anymore. But Dwight Howard is on the Charlotte Hornets now. Um, so emotion, we can talk about Dwight Howard, the player, and like how he'll fit in with Clifford or whatever. But like, do, are fans like just emotionally like not thrilled about it, getting him just because of who he is, or is there a lot of that going on? Like your your first reactions, like just not thinking about how he'd actually fit in or like the value of the trade. Were they like kind of ugh? We have to talk about this dude, or was it not like that? I actually think it was fairly well received, at least from who I interacted with. And I think it's just because, I mean, I think everyone was gearing up for a season of Miles Plumley backing up Cody Zeller. And so when that turned into Dwight Howard, for better or worse, it's like, wow, this actually is going to potentially go somewhere. And so 
I think right now they're in the honeymoon stage of, well, you know, if he works out, this could be really good. And I think, you know, maybe once the season starts, the cracks will start the show and maybe they'll, you know, wise up a little bit. But I, I'd say right now it's actually not as not as negative as as you'd expect it to be. I'm pretty sure James, you weren't happy. Maybe I'm wrong, but I, I uh, recall I, you being a little upset. <laughs> I think I think it more took me off guard than anything. Like, I think there's a certain degree of chemistry just in terms of the locker room and the way these guys get along. And I'm a little bit concerned about upsetting that. But in terms of like the wider fan base reaction, I think in a lot of ways, Dwight Howard has always been to this to this fan base as like the white whale. Like he was supposed to come here back in 2004 and the lottery didn't fall the way. Oh, it right. Did. And That's right. And Bobcats had to end up taking a Mecca Okafor. And it's always. And so like the years that 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 followed that was constantly like comparing Okafor and his like slow decline to seeing Dwight Howard become like a megastar in the league. So I think there's always been this like covetous way that that Hornets fans and previous Bobcats fans have looked at Dwight Howard. And I think that's probably always going to be the same when we look at Anthony Davis and MKG, but that's a separate discussion. But so to that end, I think like fans were moderately excited. I also think that if I'm being honest about kind of the Charlotte market in terms of pro basketball, it doesn't have as much, it's not as much of a pro basketball town as you'd think. So I think people just hear Dwight Howard and they get excited because, Oh my gosh, it's Dwight Howard. And without necessarily thinking, okay, this isn't 2009 anymore. Um, But, but still like, I think there's a little bit of a buzz and I think kind of like what Nick was saying, he's going to be better than the the rotation was before he arrived and the Hornets didn't give up much to do it. So I think it's kind of a net, whatever, hopefully he can do something. And if he is only as effective as he was on the Hawks last year, he's still better than what the Hornets put out there. Yeah. But I remember the same discussion happening with Roy Hibbert, like, Oh yeah, this is like a really good place for him to rehab his value. Like really good backup. Like he, this is like the perfect system for him. And like, Oh, I, really don't want to have to deal with like it has to be better than was it Biombo who was the backup the year before or yeah. am I like alpha year like oh anything's better than Bismack Biombo and that didn't quite work out the way it is is that too negative though like there's still more that Howard can give than than Roy Hibbert isn't there yeah I mean it just look just from a number standpoint you know he's I mean he has had in, some injuries but not to the extent that I mean Roy was just he just debilitated by that knee last year and um, I mean, he averaging a double double, it's more production than the Hornets have seen from any center since like all NBA Al Jefferson. So, I mean, that's like, I just, that's, I think what everyone's holding on to is like, yeah, I mean, he's not going to be anywhere close to that all-star level, but this is still a step. I, I mean, at least from a basketball standpoint, a step in the right direction. He does get along with Clifford too. Yeah. One would think they almost had him a couple of years ago, didn't they? Weren't they going to trade for him? I I know they I know Clifford has wanted him for a couple of seasons and I don't know how far they got into any trade prior to last um, to this past summer but right. uh, yeah. yeah I mean I, they he I mean I think it's just amazing that Clifford still has a high um, opinion of him despite you know being a, an assistant during those Orlando years even in L.A. like he's seen Dwight kind of at like the bad points and he's like he's still like I want to coach this guy so that's I don't know. That's interesting. Well, hopefully he doesn't want to coach him so much that he plays him over Cody Zeller. <laughs> right. That that's not gonna happen, right? Like Cody Zeller's a starter. I'm I'm not so sure. Oh yeah. man. Like, 
I think I think it is a case where there's going to be a lot of pressure. And the other thing is like what causes more of a stink for your team in terms of just like personnel and personality issues, like just accepting that you'll just bring Cody off the bench for more minutes or starting him before Dwight Howard and then see what potentially happens to your team. Yeah, Clifford isn't Clifford's fine kind of doing what he thinks works best. And if he thinks it means Howard, I mean, he'll start Howard. And I think that's kind of the consensus right now. But I could see a situation where really? whoever's having the better. I, I think so. And I think but I but Clifford Clifford kind of goes with this mantra of like, OK, I have my starting five. But whoever I think is the best five to finish the game, maybe depending on who is playing the best, he'll go with that five. So. Because we've seen instances where starters have have not finished the game. So if Dwight's having a bad night, or if Cody's just having a really good night, I could just I could see something where Cody finishes the game or Dwight finishes the game, just depending on the night. So we talked about Kemba, we talked about Dwight, we talked about Batum. Um, one question we got from a listener: um, He's our longtime Jacobo Pellegrini. You know, he was asking like he thinks the Hornets are a bit of a high upside high type of team. I'm not sure I would classify them that way. But one thing he asks is kind of like who are the players that can reasonably be expected to kind of make a jump on this team? Like who's sort of who is the player that who are the players that are like kind of not highest upside, not Nick and Kemba, not we know what we're gonna get, but someone that maybe can jump them to another level. Like is it still MKG? Are we still is that still the guy? Or is there someone else, you know, that that maybe is a little younger? Is it Malik Monk? Yeah, I mean, it is still MKG to an extent, but I, but just because we say that every year, I'd say, I mean, you can make the case from Malik Monk because he's a rookie. I'd also say maybe there's one last last uh, you know jump from Jeremy Lamb potentially available. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they they decided to keep him over Marco Bellinelli, so they obviously still see something. I think he's entering the last year of his contract, if I'm if I'm um, correct. Mm-hmm. So. You know there is there is the sense well maybe there's something left with him but I mean I think I think eyes will be on Monk as well. Is there another level for MKG or is this like I feel like we talk every year it's like okay well when he learns to shoot like he does so many other things so well but actually he does a lot of things well and those are valuable but oh but he can't shoot and you know I, I is there. He's always going to get compared to Anthony Davis, and I was going to make the joke that uh, I guess Anthony Davis will be on the Hornets in 15 years, just like Dwight is on their team now. But um, yeah, what exactly? Like, what's the skinny on him? Like, how good is he actually? And like, is there really? Can he really make the next step now? Or are kind of folks resigned to like, okay, this is who he is, and he's fine. He does some things well. He's fairly paid, but he's just Michael K. Gilchrist. So I guess like let me preface this by saying that I have a deep personal love of MKG. Like it's I hard not been, to like him. It's great I have dude. been that guy every single year who's like, <laughs> this is gonna be it. This is gonna be it. And like leading up, and it was the 2015-16 was the biggest buzzkill because all we heard the previous offseason is like MKG's learned to shoot. He's been working with Mark Price. Mark Price has got his jump shot going. He came out for those first seven games and was killing it. Like shot over 500, looked like a completely different player. Boom, season ending injury. And then it's like this last season happened. It's like, okay, now we're going to get to see it. And then we saw it not really at all. And it was just it was just this heartbreak. And like I want to so badly because I like him so much. But I think I've kind of hit the point where I'm just like, 
he is what he is and that's okay and like let me put all my heart and soul and energy into Malik Monk and let me believe that he's going to be the next <laughs> amazing thing and he can take all of my uh, optimism and hope and I'm I will reach a point of acceptance with MKG. That's pretty much where I'm at. Um, I mean, I will say that it like last off season he had to rehab his shoulder because he like tore it tore his labrum twice, um, and then. So he didn't really get a chance to work on his jumper. And I think that's why it regressed. Um, that's like the excuse I'll, I'll make. But I mean, so like this year he's been healthy. He looks a lot stronger. Uh, there's suggestions that he'll play some power forward, which maybe that's the secret. But I mean, that's another the, one like, of those like every yeah. year he's going to play some right. four. He's going to play some four. <laughs> right. Exactly. So, I mean, can we expect like a huge jump that we've all been waiting for? Probably not. But can he, you know, can he still improve a little bit and become a little bit more well-rounded? I think that's still possible. Well, I hope so. I like MKG. I like Kemba Walker. I like these this team. I just, you know, they are what they are. Uh, we'll take a quick break. We're going to talk a little bit more about some history, uh, some some more fun stuff, and then get back to, okay, are they going to bounce back this year? This is the Limited Upside Podcast. If you're like me, you know you have to shave, but you don't like doing it. The razors are expensive, the gel is expensive, you have to kind of switch them out a lot, and you cut yourself while shaving, you've got to use all this product in order to have your skin moisturized. It's just not a very fun experience, and it never was a fun experience for me, and I really didn't want a beard. That changed when the Dollar Shave Club came to my inbox. Dollar Shave Club is the smarter choice. It's got this great Dr. Carver shave butter, it feels really smooth coming off your skin, it actually makes the act of shaving fun, and I love that. And it's also a great deal. You can get a great shave at a great price, conveniently delivered right to your door. They send it to you in the mail. You don't have to go to the store. You don't have to get either a really expensive razor or a cheap disposable razor that gets a crappy shave. You don't have to do any of that. It comes right to your door. It's a great life hack and a great no-brainer choice. And it's got this amazing butter that feels so good on your skin. It almost doesn't look like shaving cream it's nice and clear and it just doesn't feel like shaving cream and you don't have to get all those other products in order to have your face properly moisturized it's a terrific deal you get all the stuff you need in shaving in one with the dollar shave club and now lucky you for a limited time new members get their first month of the executive razor with a tube of their dr carver shave butter for only five dollars a month with free shipping and after that, razors are just a few bucks a month and you can quit at any time if you don't like it. That's a $15 value for only 5 bucks. And in that first month's box, you get an awesome weighty handle, a full cassette of four cartridges, and a tube of the shave butter, all for just 5 bucks. And after the first month, these replacement cartridges just ship automatically at the regular price. No hidden fees, no commitments, cancel anytime you like. But you can only get this offer exclusively through the Limited Upside podcast. Go to dollarshaveclub.com slash upside in order to take advantage. That's dollarshaveclub.com slash upside. Dollar Shave Club, the smarter, more convenient, and more comfortable way to get a close shave.
We're back. Limited Upside Team Preview Series. Charlotte Hornets. James Detour from SBNation.com. Nick Denning from At The Hive. The Hornets name is something that is really special to the region, right? The Charlotte Hornets. Um, and it was kind of cool. I, I loved when they brought the Hornets logo back and then they they kick up that buzz noise in the, uh, what is it, Time Warner Cable Arena? Oh, God, it's so much better if it was The Hive. Spectrum. Oh, it's Spectrum. Spectrum now. now, yeah. yeah. They really got to do something. I'd much rather have companies name jerseys than name arenas, but whatever. Um, when they had that like big buzzing noise that they would they would put out there after a really big play. Uh, and I love that. What is it about like that name that like, could, like why didn't Bobcats as a name stick? And why is, why is it so important to rebrand as the Hornets? Like why, why I don't, it's just a name. Well, I see, I don't know, James, were you, I mean, were you rooting for the Hornets? Like when they originally here? Cause I, I'm not actually one of the original Hornets fans. Like I, I, I adopted the team as the Bobcats. So I'll, I don't know if you okay. have been, yeah. Have you been around yeah, longer? Like- so I think I think the nostalgia play is always going to yeah. be there. Like it's going to be impossible to divorce the Hornets name from people remembering Zoe and Grandma and Muggsy. And it was just like they were the first. A lot of it has to do with the fact that they were the first professional sports team in the modern era in Charlotte. And Charlotte was already North Carolina is already basketball crazed as it is. But when the Hornets came to Charlotte, it just went to a completely other level. And they were in the Charlotte Coliseum, which back then was like it was cramped and it was sweaty and it was loud and it was just on a whole other level. And I think when the Bobcats came along, it was excitement that NBA was back. But there were also a lot of trepidation and whether true, not whether I'm not actually up to whether it's urban legend or whatever that Bob Johnson, the original owner of the team wanted the Bobcats so he could say they were Bob's cats. That's always been like the (laughs) urban legend about the team. I don't know if that's accurate or not, but it just didn't resonate the same way. And I was one of the people who was kind of on the fence being like, "Eh, changing the name is not going to really do that much. Like winning is going to change things. If the Bobcats start winning, no one's going to care about the name. Uh, but it did kind of help that I think changing the name coincided with like Kemba starting to get really good and this new era and people getting excited about the team, et cetera. And I think uh, certainly uh, there's a degree too. like Cam Newton is the most visible athlete in the state. And when he's walking around in Hornets gear and Hornets throwback gear, people get excited about it. So I think there's a lot going on with it. The Bobcats. Yeah colors were just orange and like a really boring logo and like it's funny like the team is like not in that much like they're in a better situation but there's a lot of parallels between like this core of of bobcats and that one team that made the playoffs right you know they're sort of in that range in the nba you know yo-yoing between sort of just in just out you know all that and yet it feels different because of the buzzing and the cool jerseys and Cam Newton wearing Hornets gear around. It's weird how it does make such a big difference. I mean, it it is almost like going from the worst possible branding to the best possible branding. Um, But I've always been amused by that, that whole craze, you know, I guess, I guess a lot of, there's just a lot of nostalgia to those old Hornets teams. Yeah. I I, see. And that was the thing I was not really a, 
um, attuned to just being someone that started rooting for this team when they came back. Cause I was too, you know, I moved to North Carolina, you know, basically in the end years of the first Hornets and whatnot. Anyways, you know, so when I, I was kind of with you, James, I was on the fence. I was like, you know, this, you can, you can name them whatever, but they're still going to stink, you know, and we got to get the team better and then it won't matter. But um, no, it's, it's just a, it's amazing. Like the perception of the team and just how different it is. And I, I think even if the Bobcats had become a consistently winning team, I think there still would have been this foul taste in the mouths of people who are mad about the way the original Hornets left and so the fact that, you know, it, bringing that name back, it's almost like repossessing something that was really closely, you know, admired and, and, and loved by, by Charlotte and by the region. Um, and I think that's what's most important for a lot of, for a lot of these fans. Well, let's play a game. What if the, the Pelican, the Hornets, the New Orleans Hornets became the Pelicans as soon as the Bobcats were created and the, they got their name back immediately? How would we view like wh- here's like the way we can play this counterfactual up even more like would they have been more successful if they were if the same team with the same players were just named the Charlotte Hornets instead of the Charlotte Bobcats would it have made a difference? I mean, no, but it would have felt yeah. differently, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, but I, you know, in a weird way, I think I think the team had to get to this point because okay. it's not it, it's not just about like. The Hornets being successful from day one, it needed more than that. And as pivotal to the whole name change as anything else, like it was a, it, it cannot be understated what it meant to have Michael Jordan by the team. And yeah. the, the man is still a God in this state and will always be. And I think it just helped as much with the goodwill of this team as changing the name did. Yeah, I'm actually curious about that. So, like, what is 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 MJ beloved, or is there still like some frustration? I mean, he's at the point now where he's really invested in the team a little bit more. It's not MJ's cronies. They have a real front office. They have a real infrastructure. Um, but you know, they're still not going all the way. I would say. I mean, they're sort of in this level of play, and he's you know, will he make the the necessary financial commitments to help them win, or is is it at the point that he really is beloved? I'd be kind of curious about that too. Like what is the, the, the Hornets fan perception of MJ? Because it's not like he played for the Hornets in the NBA, you know, like he's obviously a legend in the state, but Charlotte is very different than up, you know, North, North Carolina. Right. Yeah. It's certainly his, his reputation as a, as an owner has certainly improved. Um, I mean, I think he's shown, I mean, everyone, he gets this like perception that he's cheap, but like the Hornets do have one of the, higher payrolls in the league, even if the team isn't, you know, one of the best in the league, it, you know, he has been willing to spend money. Um, so I think there, there's, there's a sense that he is, you know, he's doing a fine job. He seems to be, um, I mean, again, there's urban legends about how involved he is with draft picks with free agent signings and stuff. And it's just all a lot of unconfirmed stuff, but you know, he's, uh, it seems that people feel more confident in his ownership than they were, you know, during the latter, the later years of the Bobcats. How many current Hornets do you think he could beat one-on-one today? Uh, I don't know. Well, I don't know. James, what do you think? Because I'm not really a big fan of this question. Oh, no. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's fine. It, just, it just gets brought up by like every – like they ask every rookie like, hey, could you beat MJ one-on-one? And it's like what are they going to say? No? Like – 
and it just you're not I, them I just, though <laughs> right <yeah. laughs> you don't have to say you don't have to yeah. stand up for them <laughs> i think i think malik monk had the right answer when I, I believe he said something along the lines of yeah i could beat him but only because he's 45 right and i'm right. like okay that that's the appropriate answer to this question um but yeah i mean yeah and could probably beat dwight howard right yeah, if he, you know, stay, kept around the perimeter, if he can still shoot, you know. Right. You, yeah. He probably could have beaten Roy Hibbert and Miles Plumley. I mean, they're not on the team anymore, but he probably could have yeah, beaten right. them. He, 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 yeah, it's Spencer Hawes. I will give that one all day long. <laughs> yeah. I'll take MJ over Spencer. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking at their roster now to see. Like, I, I honestly can't remember. Like, you know, if Michael Carter-Williams is not having a good shooting day, like, he could probably be Michael Carter-Williams. Yeah. Maybe. Unless, you know, he's not as quick anymore and Carter Williams can just D him up with his length. I don't know. Yeah, that's true. This is a mean question. We're not going to, we're <laughs> not going to, let's go to something that's even meaner. Uh, we asked this hypothetical on a podcast earlier this year. And since you guys are Charlotte fans, I want to ask you who wins in a game between the 2011, 12 Bobcats and the four Warriors stars playing four on five. Um, so I, I'm, can I, can I, I actually looked up who that starting five would be and you know, just, just, so if you're curious, yeah. maybe, I don't know. It's a rookie Kemba Walker. Yep. It's, it's prime Gerald Henderson and prime is a, is a interesting term with Gerald Henderson. This um, is like throw the ball off the head of the person <laughs> yeah. in the stands, Gerald Henderson, right? <laughs> right. Um, it's Corey Maggette with one good leg. Um, it's a completely unmotivated Boris Diaw and then Bismack Biombo before he learned how to catch the ball. So hmm. um, I think the Warriors could actually probably take him. <laughs> oh yeah, I don't. I don't think this is even remotely close. Like <laughs> as mu- like as much as like Biz was another one of those guys that he has my heart. Like no matter where he goes, but he, that rookie season he was so rough. So you can just take him out of the picture together, and it's just like. Yeah, no, I think it would be incredibly ugly, and I do not want to see Draymond against unmotivated Boris Diaw. Like, <laughs> yeah, that would be pretty rough. <laughs> now, would it be easier or harder if they made me be the fifth player? <sighs> so now, like, now, like, I kind of have to do something. I can't just get out yeah. of the way. Well, I guess I guess if if you, had, you know, maybe they'd I guess it depend who you had to guard, you know, because I think you could I think you could still neutralize, you know, Biombo that season. I mean, you think just, so? Wow, you have a very high opinion himself. of my basketball playing abilities. When, or one of you, I don't know how good you guys are. I'm not good. <laughs> All right. Well, I've been th- we we tossed someone out out earlier, and that's the last we'll talk about the 2011-12 Bobcats. Although perversely, I would love it if 2K added that team to their game as a classic team. What do you think would be rated? I feel like that team would get like a. All right, I'm done. Sorry, I'm not going to do this to you guys. <laughs> all right, here's a question that we ask everyone that everyone gets really excited about. And James, you were telling me like, oh man, please get to this question. Please get to this question. I have been very excited about that. You have the chance to have three hornets from history on your banana boat when you're surfing in the water on vacation, a la LeBron, Chris Paul, Dwayne Wade, uh, and Carmelo Anthony. You and three others of all time, guys you want to hang out with, guys you want to be on your banana, who's on your banana and why? Okay, so I've I've been giving this question like probably way too much thought than it should have been given, <laughs> but it's important to me. So I'm limiting it at just current bobcats hornets history i'm not going to go back and oh okay or or larry johnson so so my three 
even though we just got done uh, making fun of him a little bit, I got to go with Boris Diaw. Like mm-hmm. he's going, he's going to be bringing the espresso machine. Oh, yeah. He used to drive around uptown Charlotte on a Segway to go get croissants every morning. Like he's he's hundred <laughs> percent on the boat, hundred percent on the boat. Okay. Number two, I'm going to go Jared Dudley, who like hmm. people often forget was was part of the team's history, but like super fun guy. Follow him on Twitter for like five minutes. You know he's going to be fun. And then just to change it up, I'm going to go uh, Frank Kaminsky as my third. Hmm. It's a well, good three. It's interesting. So I'm trying to think about how the chemistry for these three would work. Um, Dio would do most of the talking. Mm-hmm. Jared Dudley would do most of the laughing. And Kaminsky would just like kind of be the one that does all the goofy stuff that it, both people laugh at. Yeah. Something that, like is, that. This is, yeah. I didn't really think about the, ke- the boat chemistry. Oh, no. You uh, need good of- boat chemistry. It's, Boat uh, chemistry is important. There could be like, yeah, I just think it would be uh, kind of fun. Cody Zeller was like a close four because because Cody's pretty goofy too. But like, I think my worst. I know you didn't ask this, but like, I think my worst because I need to go this route too. Like emotionally, would be Tyrus Thomas. Ooh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you need uh, someone to sell the jokes. Yeah, exactly. Like, I would never put Tyrus Thomas on the banana boat. DJ Augustine, because he hated every second he played here because mm-hmm. Larry Brown made his life miserable. And Sean May would be my Ooh. absolute worst three. Yeah. So those are the three that are walking the plank, I suppose. Yes. Uh, I'm trying to think of what the opposite of vacationing on a banana boat is. Yeah, anyway. Uh, Nick, who are your three? So I actually, you know, and, and maybe I'm allowed to do this, maybe not, but I went actually with one player and two kind of like, like, I went beyond the, the roster. Oh, um, interesting. You're the first one to bend the rules in this okay, manner. So, so I hope it works out. Right, right. So uh, the player would be Kemba Walker. Um, one, he's just, you know, I mean, he, we've talked about how fun and exciting he is to watch. You know, I think he'd be kind of that, you know, he'd, he'd get he'd get you into everything. You know, if you're on vacation with them, he's going to be able to get you into any kind of place you want, wherever you want to go. Kemba's got that, you know, he's got that swagger about him. He's got probably the notoriety, you know, so uh Kemba uh then I go Steve Clifford the head coach mainly because really well here's why because if you're I mean you watch him you watch him in a in a press conference he's one of the most interesting dudes just to listen to when he's you know even when he's giving kind of standard answers he's very candid um and he I feel like if you sat if you went to dinner with him or wherever you're at you could just listen to him talk about like stories he's had in, a, in locker rooms about his philosophy on stuff I feel like I could leave that vacation with like a heightened hmm. sense okay of like intellect. Um, and then the third would actually be general manager, Rich Cho. Okay. Because, that's a good choice. Right. Well, cause we, we, we learned, we learned this summer that he's, he's a food blogger and he just started yes. his own food blog. He like, he would know every great restaurant. We actually um, are the guys that do the locked on uh, Hornets podcast with us. They actually interviewed him and he, I mean, just, and just, he told them about just everything about the whole, you know, food and whatnot. But yeah, if, if I, if we need to know where to go, Rich Cho would be our guy. So I think that those three combined make for a pretty good vacation. That's true. Rich Cho would be all over Yelp. Or actually, he probably wouldn't need Yelp. He'd probably just know. Right. Or he'd be on the Eater 38 heat map. Shameless plug. <laughs> uh, um, I'm disappointed that neither of you guys said Steven Jackson. Oh, man. I see. That would have been my first choice. Yeah. Then you yeah. would, by the way, though, then you would need like... I talked about this on a previous podcast. You need like your three and D vacationers, like the people that are just there to laugh so that yeah. they don't cannibalize the conversation. 
Like, so Jared Dudley might be good. He would be a laugher. I think Cody Zeller would be a good laugher. Like, you need to, if he's on your boat, you need to, like, kind of let him cook. He's got to be the first option. Yeah. Too many basketball analogies for a vacation. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, all right. Let's, uh, let's wrap this thing up. So, what do we, what's, like, the reasonable best case scenario this year for the Hornets? Like, wins, losses, performance in the playoffs, all that stuff. Like, what it, what's the best case and like how does what's the worst case uh nick uh best case like dwight you know actually works out pretty much uh kemba's an all-star again and they finish fifth in the east and win a playoff series okay that seems reasonable uh james worst case i'll make you do the worst case uh worst case is dwight uh blows up the locker room everyone's upset Kemba gets some sort of an injury, and the Bobcat, uh, the Bobcats. See, this is what happens when we talk about the history. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm probably the only person who's ever done that. I've gotten it wrong the other way. Um, let's say they win like 25 games, and they're stuck back in that Ooh. position of not picking high enough to get anyone decent, and they're stuck picking low enough that yeah. So that, that would be like the worst case scenario. I think if Kemba got injured, everything collapses. Wow, 25 wins, man. I, I, yeah, I mean, obviously, if Kemba is out for, like, two-thirds of the season, like, that's a realistic possibility. But assuming that, that that would be a hard fall. Um, do you think they're going to make the playoffs, yes or no? Yes. Yes. Okay. I think they will make the playoffs, too. I think they will be the seventh seed. I think, like, 43-44 wins. They, Clifford has this weird way of, like, alternating, like, oh, that's a really fun season with, oh, that was a really – what the hell happened there with, Oh, that's a fun season. Like, wow. What really happened there? So he's in the, he's on the right side of the pendulum this year. I guess there's only a sample of, I guess four seasons, but it's a very foolproof method. That's true. I, it works for me. Works for you. Yeah. I think they'll make it. I mean, they would have made it if Cody Zeller doesn't miss all that time. So, and like the other thing too, is that their bench was horrendous last year. Like awful. After their top five, like Ramon Sessions was really bad. Jeremy Lamb, they never got any trusted him. Like Bellinelli is like one of the most frustrating players in the league. Uh, Kaminsky was better, but you know not as good as Marvin Williams. You know they had nobody at backup center. You know it can't possibly be any worse this year, especially if Monk can play some minutes. So I mean that's the other thing. Like they just they, they they're just deeper. Although I'm not sure how much deeper. It's not like they got like great bench players i'm not the biggest no, dwight howard but fan. like i think nick nick might be more plugged into this than i am but i think there's there's a level of excitement around what malik monk can do and what he brings to the team that i don't think there's been around a hornets draft pick in probably the last five years or so yeah. um and i think there's just nothing but potential there like and yeah no he's i mean height concerns aside um he's he's definitely um one that many are excited about i don't think there was the expectation that he'd be available and i think his i mean you just look at his highlights and and you see what he can do as a shooter and it's there's a lot of there's there's you know this is the first time i feel they've drafted a player that wasn't just like has you know like Fred kaminsky you draft him knowing he's going to be a solid nba player at best Right. Whereas with, with with Malik Monk, there's that potential for him to be something more than that. And I think that's what's exciting. Frank Kaminsky also victimized by the we were willing to take him instead of taking four draft picks from the Celtics yes. sort of curse. <laughs> so you don't have that with Malik Monk. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I, have, I have no feel for how well he'll play this year. Um, 
because he didn't play in summer league. I didn't really get a chance to watch him. So, you know, if he can get him some scoring punch, I think that's something they really need. So I'm going to say 44 wins and the seventh seed. Eh, 43 wins. Maybe 42. That's- Whatever. Um, so that's the Charlotte Hornets. Thanks, James Detour and uh, Nick Denning for joining us. Uh, James Detour from SBNation.com. Nick Denning from At The Hive. And uh, that's the Hornets preview. We'll have Detroit next and then Denver and Miami. And we're done with the lottery. Ben will be back for the next one. Thank you guys for joining me. Thank you. Thank you. And sorry to make you relive uh, the Bobcats era. I, I apologize. Uh, next time I won't do that. Um, and hopefully we can talk about your team. And it's more like the team that was there two years ago that I loved than the team that was there last year. Um, because the East needs someone from that second tier to be somewhat interesting. And I would like to see Kemba get a little more attention. I realize I'm kind of partially in charge of that. So maybe I should get on that. Um, <laughs> anyway, thank you guys for joining us. Uh, this is the limited upside podcast. Podcast.